What's up, everybody? Welcome to Brass Taxes. I'm Caroline Craighead, and it's so good to have you here. We have an amazing episode for you today. We're going to talk to Don Will. He's a music producer, rapper, DJ, uh, and he is the artist behind the music you're listening to right now. This is his track, Settle Up, the instrumental version, available on his latest album. We're going to talk to him, and we're going to talk about that more coming up later in the episode. Uh, First things first, though, I got to tell you, we're a new podcast. And so if you were to, say, for example, go to the Apple Podcasts store interface, whatever, and leave us a review, oh my gosh, it would be huge. In fact, we're going to incentivize reviews by offering a free pizza to whoever leaves the best one in the next week. So go ahead and come up with your best review that you can leave for this podcast. I mean, make it honest. We don't want to tell you to say anything you don't want to say, but like, hopefully you love it. And we're going to pick our favorite one, send that person a pizza, wherever you are, from your favorite pizza place. All right. Also, if you need to get your taxes done, head on over to BrassTaxes.com. If you have not worked with us before, you can use the code POD25, and that gets you 25 bucks off the fee for getting your taxes done with us at Brass Taxes. All right, that's all the housekeeping stuff. And uh, again, before we get to the interview with Don Will, which comes up later in the episode, there's one other thing that I wanted to talk about. So I brought in Russ Garofalo, founder of Brass Taxes. We met him in the last episodes. And uh, we're going to talk about stonks. So if you've been paying attention to the news at all, it feels like this is something that we should talk about (laughs) to some extent because it's a big money thing in the past couple of weeks, which is the the rocket to the moon uh, GameStop stock, GME, taking off uh, and valued way higher than where it should actually be valued in terms of the performance of the company. And so it's turning uh, the stock market upside down, especially because of who has effectively driven the rally, which is uh, people on like Wall Street bets subreddit uh, and people who are not traditional investors. And it's a lot of people who are individually investing. And even I've heard, uh, you know, people younger than 18 years old using their parents' Robinhood account to like go in and invest. And so it's it's a, um, a bunch of traders who are new to the game, who maybe don't understand the, um, aren't aware of maybe the tax consequences of it. So I feel like there's plenty of places where you can learn about what's going on or read about the GameStop uh, situation. But from our tax perspective, I wanted to kind of put it on the table and talk about what we know about what other people might not know of what what it means. But yeah, what's your take on on what's happening, Russ? I mean, I love this story. It's <laughs> I just love the the like comeuppance of like the regular Joe Schmo. A lot of them exercising their power and taking down people who just play this game all the time at a massive scale. It feels like a, a money union came mm. and attacked like the owner of a hedge fund. And these hedge funds were way heavily leveraged, short-selling GameStop, just betting that it was going to go down. And Yeah, can you tell us what that means? Because I think that's the key to understanding it, and it's a very yeah. complicated mechanism. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. a very weird thing that feels like somebody made it up, but it shouldn't be allowed. But short selling is when you think a stock is going to go down, you agree to sell it at its current price 
but then at some point you actually have to go and buy it. Let's say it's worth $100 right now and you think this stock stinks, it's going to go down. If somebody will buy it at 100, I'll sell it to them and I just have to deliver it within a certain amount of time, let's say 30 days. So in 30 days, you're watching it to see if it goes down to 90, you can then give them their 100 shares at 100 and you bought 100 shares at 90. Mm. And so that difference is your profit. The challenge with short selling is that if you agreed to sell 100 shares at $100 and the stock goes up and now it's $125, well, I don't want to buy it now because I'm just going to lock in a loss of $25 per share. So you wait and maybe it goes up to 150 or if it's GameStop, it goes up and up and up. And at some point you're taking on so much risk that you just have to accept, yes, I'm going to lose and I'm going to lock in my loss. I think there's a strong sense that no matter what happens, the hedge funds and the big Wall Street players and the banks always come out okay. Hmm. And there was something about giving just even a tiny taste. Like it's it's not even equal. Like nobody's going to lose their home from that hedge fund or any of those investors who are able to get in the hedge fund. But there's just some comeuppance of uh, of the revolt of the masses. When I started diving into the story, it was when I read that uh, GameStop was 10% of the Standard & Poor index. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, okay, that is, this is like, a significant thing that's happening now. Yeah, we talked that day and you're like, are you following this GameStop thing? And yeah. I was like, the, the game store? No, what? <laughs> What intrigue is about? Oh, my God. Yeah. No. And it was, you know, and the fact that it's memes and then you get all these conservative, you know, like stock blogs being like, how do you meme? (laughs) Can we all meme Chevron? Yeah. Can we meme Chevron? Well, there is like the Bitcoin people or like the Winklevoss twins were like, hey, while you're at it, (laughs) jump into into, uh, Bitcoin. It's going to take off. But then as you were saying what Eric was saying of like, hey, but don't put your retirement savings in this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's the same thing of not wanting to watch people gamble with money they can't afford to lose, where it's like, yeah, we all like watching people take a risk and it's kind of fanciful and exciting. And we like people putting it all on the line, but uh, it can be painful to to watch a sense of like, whatever, nothing matters. I might as well have fun while it all burns. YOLO. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But- I think part of that's part of why I like it is, you know, I, I would go down to Occupy Wall Street and protest, and a lot of it was just frustration over the system that it currently existed. It was a bit of an awakening for me of realizing that I was so hesitant to participate in politics or protests. And it was that hesitance that offended me, that I felt like it wasn't worth my time. It doesn't matter. Everything's going to go to shit anyway, so why bother wasting my time with this? And that that was so advantageous to certain groups mm-hmm. of people. And it reminds me of the same indignation I had when I realized my, I was doing my taxes badly, that I was like, oh, because I don't have money, I couldn't get good advice. And so some of my time at Occupy Wall Street and starting to think about things at that point was realizing how my voice could matter and what I needed to do to participate. And this this example of GameStop just showed what people could do. And it's not because they had a ton of money. It's because they had a, a, a like a ton of people. 
mm-hmm. and who were interested in a common goal. And so the, it, it, it nullifies that idea that their voices don't matter. It was like, well, we can see the balance of Melvin Capital. Mm-hmm. Like, your desire matters. Well, let's look at like, for someone who did, you know, say they bought when it was low, they sold when it was high, and they made a big profit on this, especially if they're a new investor, like if they've only been trading for the past three weeks, you know, like since the year started, like uh, what what I fear that people are not thinking about is tax consequences, uh, because especially when it's a short-term trade, that can be uh, significant. So we wanted to look at what that might what that might look like for someone. Yeah. For for the purposes of this example, do we want to decide someone bought a hundred shares? At, yeah. You know, what's a reason, you know, because we sure some guy put fifty three thousand in, but most people are gonna put five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. I think that's um, a good and so let's say I mean, does it matter? Can we just say like Yeah, we could round. Yeah, January seventh, I think it closed at just about eighteen. Okay, so we'll say eighteen hundred dollars you paid. That's what you have into it. And then let's say four hundred and sixty, the peak, or four sixty nine was the peak. But cool, yeah. So that's forty six thousand dollars out. So just as a quick review, anytime you buy and sell stocks, it's how much did you buy it for? How much did you sell it for? When did you buy it? When did you sell it? The limiter between the when did you do it is more than a year less than a year so most of the gamestop stuff is definitely less than a year if people sold and so in this case you bought it for eighteen hundred dollars a hundred shares a couple weeks later you sold it for forty six thousand dollars for a hundred shares and you had it less than a year so it's taxed at normal income rates so when they talk about income tax rates that's how the money is taxed. If you hold it for more than a year, it's taxed at lower rates. And the idea is to incentivize people to keep their money in the stock market longer because it makes the stock market more stable. I know we don't have like an exact amount of difference, but for if it was held long term, mm-hmm. what determines the rate that it's taxed at? It gets a little in the weeds of how to determine the long term capital gains rate because it's also related to your other. Income that you earn outside of the stock sales, um, but we could do it both ways and just see if they had bought for eighteen dollars four years ago. Um, so, just for this example, we used a person who is on a W two and makes fifty thousand dollars a year, and we accounted for any refund or taxes owed due to that job. And for someone who bought a GameStop at eighteen dollars a share and sold at four hundred and sixty dollars a share. They're going to owe between federal and New York State and city, if they live there, $13,887. Wow. So that is on $44,200 of profit. So you only pay tax on the profit. You bought for $1,800, sold for $46,000, subtract that from that, and you get $44,200. And you're going to pay tax on that state, city, and federal. Just for federal, you owe about $10,000. Wow. And you don't pay that tax until you it's the end of the year and you report it, right? Right. Normally, you know, we have, unless you paid estimated tax because you know I'm going to owe a lot of money, 
Um, so just like if you are a freelancer and you know you're going to owe over a certain amount of money, you can pay estimated taxes to avoid a little bit of interest on the money you owe at the end of the year. Yeah, but you'd have to probably be proactive about knowing that and going ahead and, and paying your estimated. Uh, but there's probably a lot of people, especially people who are new to investing within the past few weeks, <laughs> uh, who maybe aren't seeing that coming or don't know how to calculate how much they're likely to owe from their short-term gains. And uh, and it won't be until they do their taxes next year where they report, they get their tax form that shows, hey, you had this much in, um, in capital gains. And then when they report it on their taxes, that's when the bill comes in, basically. Right. That's when they'll get the news. I think this money definitely, given the strangest of the situation and the goal of screwing over hedge funds falls into the like magic money category, like um, like a Kickstarter of. Do you remember that guy wanted to? He tried to raise ten dollars on Kickstarter to make potato salad. <laughs> I think you've told me about this, but no. and he ended up with like eighty two thousand dollars. And my friend who worked there at the time reached out to him just because. I mean, there's news stories, there's TV coverage. Like, imagine starting a stupid joke when you're like, when you're bored at home and suddenly it turns into this thing and people are like, what are you going to do with the money? You have a responsibility to, and he was just like, it was a joke. I was having, like, he had no plan for it. So my friend reached out to him to just be like, what are you going to do with that money? And Kickstarter's in its own weird realm where you need to determine like, is that taxable money? Because it feels, it doesn't feel like it. But it can be. Right. Because um, he wasn't promising anyone potato salad, right? Like he was just like, give me money and I'll make this potato salad. And, yeah. and so it could be considered a gift that he just it got a lot of gifts. <laughs> it could be considered a gift. But the IRS has said they're going to default to all of this is profit. Wow. Yeah. For everything or just for potato salad earnings? <laughs> Anything related to brunch, picnics, or appetizers. <laughs> um, desserts, obviously, are a gift. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think, and on the on the you know rougher side of things, I think unemployment can feel that way, mm. where it just is not intuitive that you're going to be taxed on that money. Right. Um, and it, I I think it occurs whenever we're earning money and it's not consciously gone into with the idea of I'm working to make money. So people went and gave money to GameStop to support a community or a movement or have fun. And then suddenly it turns into a thing. It's also, yeah, I mean, like the timing of it that scares me so much too, that it's like, here we are in the first few weeks of of the year when this very short-term huge earnings are being made through the the GameStop saga. And uh, and people are already talking about how they're going to spend it, you know, paying off their student loans, blah, blah, blah. And when I'm reading articles, it's like, and they spent it all on X. And then I'm like, wait. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, like, as you said, if you, you know, if you kept it, if you were holding the stock for, uh, and it's an individual stock, right? Like they would have to have held that particular like Correct. GME for longer than a year. That's when it puts it into a different tax category. And then you pay long-term capital gains on it rather than short-term. Right. So let's look at that real quick, just for some perspective. And if everybody remembers the federal taxes due on this money 
for short-term gain under a year held were just under $10,000. That's with $44,000 profit. Right. Yeah. So now we'll look at long-term. And the difference between the two is roughly, a, a way to think of it is, how much is the government incentivizing you to keep your money in a stock for more than a year? Mm. And so right now, yeah. So that's the the tax owed on that is just over six thousand three hundred dollars. Oh, okay. So it's forty percent less tax. That's a huge difference. <laughs> there you have it. And whether it applies to you or not, I just thought it was an interesting thing to look at, just to see how tax can sneak up on us when we least expect it. And we're just going about our business, trying to live our lives, trying to stick it to the man. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's not delay any further from getting to our interview for the week. Don Will is a Brass Taxes client, but I first met him in the comedy world in New York, in Brooklyn. I used to produce a monthly show that he did with Wyatt Cenac called Shouting at the Screen wherein the two of them would sit at the back of a movie theater on mics, like in Mystery Science Theater 3000, and they would provide hilarious commentary as we all watched a black exploitation film of their choice. Wyatt would do all this research on, like, where the actors were now and how it got made, Uh, and he would do a whole presentation up top, like a PowerPoint presentation, (laughs) before each screening. It was great. Anyway, Don Will. You may know him from the group Tanya Morgan or from his solo career as a rapper and as a DJ. He's worked as a music consultant and composer for podcasts and TV shows like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas on HBO. He's also the resident DJ for the excellent Butterboy comedy show with Joe Firestone, Aparna Nancherla, and Maeve Higgins, all excellent comedians who you should check out if you have not. Don Will's latest album is One Word, No Space, and he was kind enough to trade us the use of this track, Settle Up, from it on our podcast in exchange for tax prep. Win-win. All right, here is my conversation with Don Will. Thank you very much for letting us use your song for uh, the theme music in this. Thanks this is, for asking. I'm glad that it's it's being it's being used outside of the context of my record. Yeah, you released it last year, right? 2019. Oh, okay. That's yeah. a whole other year ago. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me, like, what I've never released a record before. Thank God, because that would be crazy since I don't make any music, but. <laughs> Like what? What are the? Uh, what does that look like as a financial venture? Even like if it's yeah, not something where it's like oh, it's for the money. But what? Yeah. What does the money look like in that? Both like what it takes to make it, and then what you can expect when it's out. Well, on the for me for uh, the way I make make records, a lot of it like a lot of the actual creation process of it is just. I won't say it's free, but it's very cost efficient because I'm recording everything at home. I produce at home and I, I, I mix at home and I like have people who master it. I work with people on mastering. Um, the most expensive part is always the manufacturing and pressing. Mm. So I have projects that just they only exist online mainly because I just didn't feel like putting the money into like getting physical merch because then you have to then you have to sell it. Like there's no point in, ma- in pressing up 100 to 1000 records because they just take up space. Mm. <laughs> and right. especially in New York um 
you just don't have the space to store all that stuff. So that's where touring and doing live shows comes in is that like you, you press that merch up to go sell it on the road because when you do sell it, when you like send it off to rec, when you guys send it out to record stores or whatever, whatever, um, there's a cut taken out. It costs to send it places. And then like, you know, you have to monitor the monitor the sales of it and all that stuff versus going on the road. You just can be like, Hey, here's my album is $20 and they give you a $20 bill and you're done. Uh, (laughs) that's the whole transaction unless you have to unless you have to split that with another party then it's just like okay well but even then it's it's more it's more dividing pure profit and less dividing um gross profit did i use that word right yeah right yes like the well profit (laughs) is separate from the gross like gross is like the 20 dollars that they hand you that's like what came in that's your gross uh, receipts basically like what you yeah. made gross but then the profit is like on top of your costs how much of that 20 are you keeping if anything right so we're speaking the same language I yeah. just don't know the, I don't know all the words I'm one of those people that like I'll hear I'll learn something a million times because mm-hmm. I'll understand the concept of it it's just sometimes I get hung up on what the things are yeah it is like yeah. you said like a different it's a language you know like and you have to know oh one of my favorite things is like with uh, a tax return versus a tax refund like, I can always tell what someone's <laughs> talking about when they're like, hey, I didn't get my return back. I'm waiting on my return. It makes sense that it would be, it's what gets returned to you. It's <laughs> but, one of those things. not what you I, say. I think it's hard to retain the information because you only encounter it right. once a year. And you encounter, it, you encounter it in a way that, like, no matter if it's, like, a pleasant experience or, like, a, a very, like, oh, God, my, my life is ending experience. It's one of those things where, like, you just want it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you do like I always dread tax time or I always dread like I always dread financial things mm-hmm. um, unless I'm getting paid. And even in that respect, sometimes I dread making the invoice or I dread negotiating the pay or it's it's such an interesting thing because it is like we all have to deal with it and within it like no, none of us can escape capitalism <laughs> and that, yeah. like money rules our lives. And when it's not something that you innately want to be uh, like thinking about or that you don't necessarily like have uh, a lot of experience in if you're not like a finance person (laughs) then then you're not you know then it's like oh you not only do you have to deal with this but it's something outside of you know where your skills are and where you're uh where you want to (laughs) be and so like you have to deal with it and you're you have to deal with it in a less informed way than people who are like really into the game of money. I like to be abreast. I like to be informed, but I definitely don't want to be like the guy who knows all the business stuff. Like it's, it, it because it is like on a certain level, that's an art in itself. Like I think that everything can be done artfully or everything can be done creatively or sometimes the art is in the efficiency or the art is in like the, the ability to explain a thing with ease and make the person you're explaining it to feel at ease and feel comforted and feel like they're safe in that, place and they, they're not like being you know like taken advantage of or whatever mm-hmm. um, and that's that's a beautiful thing and then when you leave that transaction you just have to put your guard back up because everybody else has just <laughs> got right. the knives out on you <laughs> it's true yeah <laughs> even like doing freelance production work and like being approached by clients a lot of times when people you know there's no I, I guess when you get to a certain level or when not even level when you when you've amassed a certain body of work or Mm -hmm. a reputation for work or whatever like you kind of have your number and you give it to people and that's that but there's also this thing where people they'll say like they'll tell you what they'll they'll 
like give you a soft offer, like, hey, I want you to do music for this for XYZ. And you're like, cool. And they're like, okay, so they they give you like the specs a little bit and they're like, so how much do you charge? And at that point, like for me anyway, I'm like, I just have to deep dive Google the places, mm. see who I'm talking to. And if it's if it's a friend that reaches out, I'm usually just like, all right, so <laughs> I just try to get as much candid information as possible because on one hand, again, on one hand, we, I love money. Money is fantastic. It's nice to have in case uh-huh. of an emergency. I want to eat out, all that stuff. But also it's just the thing about ne- negotiating money gives me such anxiety and it makes me like really, like I don't like it. I don't like Why? the transaction of it. I just don't like attaching worth to things. Um, creative things. My my job, my job title is pretty much it's just me. Like I wake up and go to sleep and in the same space that I do my work. And I know a lot of people do that now because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But you know, like um a lot of like my text conversations and emails and interaction with friends and stuff like this, like it just synthesizes itself into whatever I'm making. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll like like so it's all the same thing. Which, which in a lot of ways, it's hard to put a value on that. Because um, again, I can, if somebody asked me how much it cost me, I could probably sit down. I, I actually did at one point sit down and break down how much it would cost me to pay overhead and do all that stuff for a week. And it was, it was, it was like an estimate from like me adding, calculating up all the expenses I've had for a year, then like dividing that by 12 for the months and then dividing that further. And it was like an approximate number that was, you know, okay, so this is the set, this is the set point. And if I want to like actually make money, I'll just ask this much to it. But at that, that, that level of mathing on things, is just like, who, who, who gives a shit? Just, like, <laughs> just give me some money. I'll do the thing and we're done. It's, <laughs> I do think that, um, as, as, you know, as we age and we get older in, in, this level of working freelance and working for ourselves, mm-hmm. there is a certain level of like, all right, well, there's going to be a, I like to think that there won't be a time where I want to enjoy working and doing stuff. And like, you know, I'll be an 80 year old DJ or some shit or like dropping mixtapes at 75. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, I hope so. But <laughs> here's some of these crotchety old man raps. <laughs> You'd be like, uh, who was I reading about recently? Swamp Dog. <laughs> he's like 80 or something now and he's like doing new albums. It's amazing. Anyway, go on. The soup's too hot. The soup's yeah. too cold. The soup's too hot. The soup's too. <laughs> Get the perfect temperature of my soup. <laughs> I'm so in for that next two. <laughs> gotta, you gotta wait. You gotta wait forty more years, but it's coming. Damn. Okay, <laughs> I'll mark my calendar. But, but um, I, I've I've been thinking a lot about what it means to like just save money and have money allocated for you know down the line. I mean, that's what I need to do, and that's what I've been trying to do for the last week is just take some time to like comb through my finances a bit because it is that time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that time of year is coming up, and. <laughs> It's this cool thing of like when I am going through bank statements, I get to relive whatever that day was. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and if it was a good day, it's just like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. If it was a bad day, you're like, ah, oh, yeah. But I literally get to walk through my entire calendar year and it's a tedious, I don't welcome it, but it's, there's definitely something fun to it where you're just like, well, this was a pretty good month or, oh, man, this month sucked. I, I don't know how oh, I made yeah. it through that month because- you made it through the month. Like, you're here. Your yeah. Paid. yeah. <laughs> and that's a good, yeah, it's true. It is, especially for, for people who have varied income and, uh, and varied, varied work situations. It's 
for me at least, it has been uh, both cool to look back and see and see stuff, but also traumatizing. <laughs> like I remember looking at like the last few months that I was in New York before I like actually probably after I like ran out of money and was like, I gotta go. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> I can't afford being in the city anymore. And I it was like, oh yeah, there's me renting the U-Haul, there's me doing that, there's me you know, it was just like it was not a good experience. And then seeing it all in transactions as just like money that I was throwing to try to escape the city, you know, was like Yeah. 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 It, it's brutal. It's funny. <laughs> funny I, I could I already know that like this year it's gonna be because I started off I started off the year we were in Paris for a show. And then after that I went out to um, Portland just to hang out and, like, see. I went to explore, like, work opportunities and shit and just, like, get my feet on the ground and see some friends. And then, like, literally, I want to say the next week, shut down. So, like, it'll it'll just be interesting to see, like, okay, cool. Like, uh, there's coffee in Paris and then there's dinner in Portland and then there's toilet paper in Brooklyn. <laughs> Toilet paper and coffee and cans of beans for a year. Like literally not spending money on anything except for <laughs> these random fucking uh, <laughs> bomb shelter supplies for Toilet a year. Toilet paper in Brooklyn. <laughs> that is, that's our lives now. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah. I did, manage to, uh, I did manage to, I did manage to, I moved to a new place. Oh yeah. The, yeah, like I moved at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty unexpected. But there is something cool about, you know, waking up in a new place, like in a new year, and it's 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 way more calm here. Mm. Know, all that to say, like when I when I think about doing my taxes this year, I'm just like, okay, like, what is I don't like what does this all mean? <laughs> 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 like, how do I capture but you know, like all of that goes into the thing that I do. So what do you mean? Like like the me rec- like the first song that I recorded since I've gotten to this new place. It has a different energy than everything else I made. Oh, and interesting. Yeah. I sat back and listened to a bunch of my old stuff and I the stuff that I made in that old place and I the thing that I did in this place was just like everything sounds energized in this way. The uh I won't say that the stuff I was doing before wasn't energized, but it <clears throat> I think about it, it was more resigned. Huh. Because I, I wasn't looking at I wasn't looking at moving. I was just kind of looking at like being stationary and like everything was like, all right, so you know, bigger questions. Like, so if I if I do move, I want to move to like the final place. Or I want to like move to a different city or I want to do XYZ. And then when it was just like, okay, you just you should just move because it makes good sense. I, when I get to a different space, I think I think it's um it was just about looking past whatever that mental block was. And the yeah. mental block initially was just that, not necessarily that I was stuck, but that, you know, your next move got to be your best move. It can't It can't be, you can't go from A to B. You got to go from A to Z. And that'll be like the thing. Like, like just thinking in these grandiose terms of, the, of whatever you do has to be the best. And, you know, it was just about like, okay, well, just find a short-term solution sometimes. And I'm not saying that this place is a short-term solution, but I'm saying like, it it works for now. That's so interesting to hear you say that about, you know, the something just needing to be unstuck that you didn't even it wasn't like you were looking for that. You weren't like, I have to move so that, you know, there's a different energy in my music or whatever. It's just yeah. like a byproduct of like because we are as artists, like 
reflections of our life, you know, like it pays to be intentional about it. And then also like, yeah, you're going to see like, oh, this is what this is energetically what's happening is going to come out in my work. And yeah, right. It's interesting. Like you don't even necessarily know that it's happening until you have that reflection of the work that you're producing in the new space. That's so cool. Yeah, like. Um, I'm I'm always being very self-reflective and looking at myself and analyzing myself. And I remember a couple months back, I just I got I leave a lot of notes for myself. Mm. I wrote I wrote on a sheet of paper. I wrote the words I just wrote right now and just put it up on the wall. And it was just a reminder to like just do it. The, whatever the fuck is the stop procrastinating. So if, if it's if it's paying your gas bill, if it's sending an email, yeah. if it's making a phone, whatever it is, just do it right now. And I remember <laughs> the day that I decided to move, like usually I would just kind of like sit around and like not really complain, but just just come to terms with the fact with with whatever the moment I was in and try to like deal with it mm. internally, not like deal with it in like an action based way or deal with it in like a resigning to just accept it kind of way. And it was just like I saw the nose like, nope, right now. OK, look for apartments. I got to look. And then it was just like every step of the way it was like. All right, schedule an appointment. Do it now. All right, like, but it, it like, it's as funny as as small and minute and strange as it sounds. Like that little reminder to just do the thing was the only thing that pushed me through it. Because otherwise, I would have, like, you know, opened a tab and then saw been going to close the Twitter tab and just been on Twitter or some shit. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's That's so familiar. easy to be distracted because there's nobody, there's nobody like telling me you have to do this now mm-hmm. or this is due at the end of the day. Or if you don't do this, the company fails and we're, we're going to be up for a review. It's just me needing to monitor myself, which is just like letting a child decide what they <laughs> eat for dinner. <laughs> I That's so familiar. I, like I've been thinking recently about just like, how can I split my personality and have like the accountability person, you know, like the person who's going to like talk to me and be like, get off of Twitter, <laughs> like, get, <laughs> like sit down and write, you know, and, and something huge that I think uh, in what you were saying earlier is that the pressure of the idea that we have to go from A to Z, that the next thing has to be the big thing, that the thing that we're like, you know, that like don't move unless it's the final move sort of idea is such a, a weight and a hindrance on us actually creating or actually getting on with our lives sometimes. Like yeah. I've had a huge struggle with that of, of perfectionism that stops me from working. And, and that's like the, the, the opposite of what, of what it should be doing. It's like, yeah, the way to get to Z is the whole alphabet. You got to get through yeah, you, everything. <laughs> you got to get through like X and yeah. S and yeah. F. Like, like even with me, like they're um, making music. Like sometimes, sometimes, I'll be procrastinating and I'll be like, I don't feel like doing this, but I'll just set up the things that I need to, like, I'll take my my sampler out and plug it in and plug the keyboard I'm going to use in and plug the stuff up, but not make any music, mm-hmm. walk away from it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know I, everything's set up for me to go. I just have to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and even that's just like an incremental step kind of thing, because mm-hmm. believe it or not, like I, I we relate in, in much in the same creation process. It's just like, the hardest part about writing isn't actually writing. It's just sitting down and having the the focus and resolve to start typing the words. Yeah. Like you can get distracted. Like the thing that I've, I've started to notice about myself as I make things is that, you know, if I'm making a beat, a lot of times I'll like, there's a process where you have to like listen to what you've done and like tweak it. 
and, and, and tweaking it sometimes, like I'm, I'm, I'm moving a mile a minute all the time. So I need to like do something other than just stare at a wall while the beat's playing. Because I'm like, well, if, if I have this in the background, I'll, like the thing that's wrong will stand out more. So I might just end up on Twitter or on Instagram while I'm working. So it, it all kind of like starts to be a seamless like thing. But the thing that takes precedence is I got to get this done still. Like, cause I'm in the middle of working on it. Yeah. And also knowing when to, knowing when I'm just kind of like picking at a thing and not necessarily working. Like I call it shuffling papers. There's a certain point in like the creation <laughs> process where there's a certain point where like you're not making any gains. Like you're literally just moving things around on the page or oh, yeah. like, like turning up the volume, turning down the volume and, and resaving a thing. It's like, all right, just close the computer and walk away. Like I've started, I've started to just literally, if I catch myself becoming too distracted, I'll just, like, I'll just shut down. Like I'll just, like in much of the same way a computer will just like freeze. I'll stop whatever I'm doing and just walk away from it and just sit in silence in the corner or just like stop. Yeah. And like try to like assess like, all right, so when you go back to that computer, you'll do X, Y, Z. It's not even like a frustration thing. It's more like just a hard reset because wow, yeah. sometimes it'll be, you know, I'll be, I'll get 50 text messages at the same time and then an email will come through and then they'll storm the Capitol and I'll be like, oh, I got to stop making this beat. <laughs> like, no, like, none of us had that on our agenda for this week. <laughs> but yeah, like there are certain, like those are moments like that you can't really control, yeah. obviously. But, you know, it's it's nice to be able to have some sort of like flexibility in your workflow to be able to like, all right, I can respond to, I can allocate a little bit of energy to this for right now, but I got to get back to this thing. Because again, like, that doom scroll thing mm. that you do where you're just like online mm-hmm. and there's nothing to get you out. Like it's engineered to keep you there. <laughs> yeah. Literally, I will I will just like type Instagram. I'm not even the full word, like I'll type <laughs> INS and it'll autofill. Then I'll like close that tab and type TWI and Twitter. And I'll just rotate these auto fillings. Oh yeah. And then at a certain point I'm just like, well just shut the just shut the laptop. <laughs> there was and if you have yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a uh Portlandia sketch where like Carrie is like caught in like the loop and it's like Fred and Carrie like oh no you're in the loop and it's literally that where she's just like (laughs) Facebook Instagram Twitter like and just like in this you know you're just constantly checking all of them and you go in like a circle with it and I've many times caught myself in that and had to rest myself away. What's usually like the 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 thing that lets you know you're in the loop because I know what mine's is. Mine is like if oh well like on on Instagram it's when it says like you're all caught up, <laughs> which I feel like <laughs> Instagram's like just just stop. There's nothing more Relax. for you here, sweetie. Uh, Facebook I had to kill, and I'm so glad I did. So me, it's usually like I'll I'll post something on both Instagram and Twitter, and the loop starts when I'm like monitoring what I've posted mm. and like looking at who I gotta because you know there is a certain level New like likes. you gotta engage people and you yeah. gotta like blah 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 do all that stuff. And I'll be in the loop. And then when I arbitrarily just end up on, like, I'll just type Facebook, which I never go to Facebook. And if I do go to Facebook, Facebook is my red flag. So if I, <laughs> if I open a tag, if I open a tab that says Facebook, I have trained myself to get offline. That's good. Yeah. The conversation has, has went in so many directions. I don't know if I was making this point. But the day when, um, when COVID happened... Um, not COVID, when when the quarantine happened. Yeah, yeah. 
And every DJ gig that I had for the year just vanished. So there was emails, there were calls. I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of gigs that were just, you know, every Monday or every second Thursday. Mm. Or like I was just on the calendar and the calendar just cleared. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, there, there was no, there was no end in sight for it. It was just like, well, these are done. We'll figure out something when they're not done. Um, that was probably one of the hardest days of my professional career. <laughs> yeah. Because again, like, you know, like I, I felt like I was like, man, why do I keep going into these careers and going into these like interests that like I can't control anything? You know, like you like you put out albums and you book a tour. And if you book the tour, if if, if the album does good, the tours are great. If the album doesn't do good, it's harder to get shows. Mm-hmm. Or if your visibility is low, it's harder to get shows. Cool. You DJ. And <laughs> you DJ. And, like, you can kind of build your own thing. And then the pandemic takes takes away venues. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, cool. I'll DJ online. We're DJing online. And, and it's like, well, what happens if you don't pay your cable bill? Like, it's, it's just, <laughs> there's always going to be something with these um, creative, like, creative-based careers. Yeah. I mean, and, never more than right now. That Like, I feel like the, just the entire live entertainment industry being wiped out <laughs> for a yeah. year is unprecedented. It's not like, you know, one person's career or something. It's like the whole industry is affected that way. Yeah, like it, it, there have been, you know, like I will say honestly that I've been on unemployment before, like years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like unemployment, it's it's there to help, but it, it doesn't really feel good to be on unemployment. Mm-hmm. Like even when it's helping, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good to wake up on Sunday or whatever day you have to file. I'm like, all right, let me just send this email and ask y'all for some money again. And then I got to tell you what I did with it. Like, like it just doesn't, it's not the best feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I will say that the first few months, because again, like I didn't get it immediately. So there were months where I was like, I was part of, part of me thinking about moving at one point was walking around my apartment thinking about like the exit strategy, like, all right, well, I got this much more rent left in my bank account. So I'll put this in storage, put this in storage. I could sell this maybe, blah, blah. It was doing that level of inventory. Yeah. And then when the unemployment came, it became, I guess I'll take a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Like vacation, meaning vacation, meaning I will just walk to like, you know, COVID. So I would just walk to the store and get whatever I want from the store because I have a little bit more money than I would have had. So I'm, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not going to Foot Locker. I'm going to the bodega, but I'm going to the bodega and I'm buying a six pack and some nachos and snacks to get me through the fact that I can't leave the house and I, I can't work. Yeah. But yeah. You know. I feel like that's such like a it's an interesting thing about uh, the psychology of, you know, unemployment. We've always been made to believe is like when you're not doing well, you don't have like your foot on your feet, you know, like solidly under you. You're not making money, you know, and you're not. And society has, in my experience, like it feels like has trained us to believe that that means like you're worthless. You're not, you know, yeah. you're not of value to the economy and therefore <laughs> at all, which is a yeah. <laughs> really terrible thing to internalize. But especially when you're an artist and it's whatever. But, uh, you know, unemployment 
right now is in such a different context and yet it still has that feel you know where it's like it's not because yeah. you're not hustling or you don't do good work that you don't have you know your dj gigs right now it's because everyone has to stay inside <laughs> you know like that's right. completely outside of your uh control and it's not like you're not pivoting it's not like you're not trying it's you know there's uh it's such a huge thing to have just completely bottomed out that entire <laughs> like yeah. section of the entertainment <laughs> industry. But it, but that internalized feeling of like, it doesn't feel good to collect unemployment. It doesn't feel good to like be handed money in this way is something that I think is a really, uh, I don't know. I don't know if uh, like everyone's experiences of trying to shake that or to, to square that with how they feel about it. You know, just when I was wrapping my mind around, like the finances and business of of being an independent artist and like like all this stuff is this came in and now it's like oh well, I don't know what to do with this mm-hmm. at all so I'm just gonna go to the store and buy some chips <laughs> <laughs> just chip money I, I like at a certain I remember when when I got when I when uh, the the back I didn't get it immediately at first so they sent me like a there was like weeks of it that came at once I was terrified I'm like this is too much. Why would you send me this much money? <laughs> like, this is too much money. Like, what is happening right now? It, it feels suspicious. <laughs> it does. It, it really feels like, like even the stimulus checks. I haven't gotten the stimulus check because um, I, I don't know why. Huh. But I, I think it's something to do with my social security number. Um, the social security department has the wrong birthday for me. Oh, really? Yeah. And I've, I've been trying to figure that out, sort that out. But with COVID... At a certain point, they wanted me to mail my birth certificate, my social security card, and my ID. And I'm like, well, how will I prove I'm a who I am? Like, yeah. And like, also, like, look. I don't trust DeJoy's USPS to <laughs> take all of that information. Listen, <laughs> what, if, what if I put that shit in a mailbox and they took the mailbox away? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. what happens now? <laughs> But yes, like even with the stimulus checks, like I remember I I wanted one, but I was also like, I'm cool if I don't get it because I don't know. That that seems weird. They're they're up to something. I don't trust it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It is like, I I have been much more like, yeah, give me all of it. Give me everything that you guys are giving right now. I'm going to take all of it because I've been screwed so many times in the past. And because like, you know, all of this, like I deserve it. Listen, uh, <laughs> yeah. finance is such a private thing. And it's, it's yeah. one of those things where like even even talking about finance with like your friends a lot of times, like, you know, it, it's still private. And, unless yeah. you're talking about splitting the bill, then it's just like it's all out <laughs> in the open. Like, <laughs> but but so it is, it is nice to have a conversation where, you know, like you can speak about something that's so, I guess, vulnerable. Yeah. Like, you know, like your your financial well-being in the middle of a pandemic being a a, a artist a, a person with erratic income mm-hmm. um so it's definitely a cool space to be able to like talk about that and not feel like you're being judged or interrogated right, right. <laughs> or like talked down to too you know yeah. like i feel like so much financial education stuff is like like you don't know this you're supposed to know this or like you know they're it, like here's all the stuff you have to catch up on to even be like, you know, mildly aware of what's going on with your finances. And it just puts right. you in the position of feeling like you're behind or like you don't, you know, know what's going on. And yeah, just having like easy conversations and being, you know, uh, 
open to being vulnerable or hearing people being open to being vulnerable is, I think, worthwhile. And that's part of why, like, uh, I'm so grateful that you're letting us use your music because I feel like it just like the the song, especially settle up, like, first of all, settle up with taxes is a yeah. fun thing. <laughs> but also I see what you did. Yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> but also it just has, you know, like it's a, a vibe of like, hey, we're we're easing into a conversation sort of, thing, you know, like especially the. See, now we're going to get into me talking song parts and I don't know anything about the song parts. Do but it. like, okay, okay, with like the drums, first of all, it's kind of like a, uh, an easy beat, you know? Like it's not yeah. too, there's not too much pressure. It's like, all right, this is like a even keel thing you can get into. And then like the... <laughs> The, the beatbox that you told me that that's what that is where I was like you know the part where they're like ooh ah, ah <laughs> like uh, yeah I don't know it just has like a, an inviting quality to it that I uh, I think is going to be helpful <laughs> my absolute favorite thing is hearing non-music people talk describe music it is amazing like when you when you're doing client work they're just like this song has a calm energy can you like make the energy more blue than red the words that people use to describe music is is, is, is fantastic All right, everybody, that's our show for this week. I'm Caroline Craighead. Remember to join us next week. We have Brooke Van Poplin, who's going to be joining us. Uh, also, please go ahead and rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. You win a pizza if you write a good review. How cool is that? <laughs> uh, and head over to BrassTaxes.com for all your tax prep needs. Pod 25 gets you 25 bucks off. All right. Again, I'm Caroline. I'm so happy that you're with us. Uh, thanks again. We'll see you next week. Thank you.